Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Desk Podcast. This is the Monday morning edition of the show, so thank you again for tuning in. Um, We have a lot to go over from the past week and weekend as Utah State basketball picked up um, and started off with an exhibition game against Montana Western. And Utah State football takes care of business against the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors at home. Um, We will talk about both those games. Let's start with basketball then we'll move into football. There's a lot going on for um, for football. And as we come into the final third of the season, our last four games, there's a lot going on, a lot more at stake now than a lot of people thought there would be coming into the final stretch of the season uh, with Utah State at the top of the Mountain Division and looking to hold on to that spot. And there's a couple ways for Utah State to do that. There's a couple scenarios that could play out for Utah State to end up on the top of the division and to play in and maybe even host the Mountain West Championship game. We'll talk about that um, as we as we get into the show. Let's start off with uh, that Utah State basketball game. Um, it was an exhibition game hosted by Utah State here in the Spectrum, and Montana Western came down to play. Montana Western, um, I don't want to make this game into something that it wasn't. We do those to help the team get ready for the season. We do those. It's just... It's basically just a preseason scrimmage, so I don't want to make it into something that it that it's not. But Montana Western was a good team; they were a well-coached team, and and they're going to do just fine at the uh, at the Division Two level. Um, but again, I, I don't want to make it seem like we we beat a really really good Division One team in preseason. But um, but it was a great game uh, to watch. The fans really showed out, especially for a midweek exhibition game. The students were out in, in pretty large numbers, and it was a great game. The Utah State basketball team looked really, really good. You could kind of tell that it was their first time playing together or one of their first times playing together, but there were never times where they really looked bad or disorganized. I, I have been saying for a while, and I will reiterate, that I honestly think that the Utah State basketball team has a chance to be better than they have been in the past and better than they were even last year. I think that they might improve. I think the transfer portal was very favorable towards the Aggies. I think we got uh, some really talented guys in RJ Idlerock and Rylan Jones at the guard position that I think really fit Coach Odom's system. Uh, they played really, really well alongside Justin Bean, um, as well as Brandon Horvath, another newcomer that came in through the transfer, port- transfer portal. So I think the transfer portal was very favorable. I think the coaching staff is going to be really, really good. Um, and I, I really think Utah State could be better than they were last year. And they're definitely going to be good. I think they're going to be as good as they as they have been in the past. I think it's going to be a continuation of success in that program. Success has certainly become the standard. I think we were too quick to forget that during some of our down years at the beginning of the Mountain West era. And I think we did the same thing in football with last year. In football now, we're bull eligible. That shouldn't be a surprise, but to many it is because of how quickly we forgot that Utah State is a good football team and is is a good football program and has been for the past decade. Success is now the standard, and that's been the case in basketball for generations at this point, going back to the Stu Morrill years and even beyond. So I I think we were quick to forget, and I think we need to understand that basketball has a tradition of excellence here at Utah State, and I think this team will continue that. But yeah, let's let's look at some of the uh, some of what happened that game. Fun fact about Montana Western. Uh, the last time we played them, at least in the regular season, was back when 
Ty Wesley and Brian Green were on the team uh, way back in 2011. And that was actually the game where Ty Wesley busted up a backboard at halftime. And then as they were bringing out the replacement backboard, it was dropped. And the game ended up being delayed like an hour because of the two broken backboards. So that's the last time we played Western Montana in the regular season. That game ended uh, with a final score of 100-66. to uh, This game very well could have gone the same way. Utah State wins 81-51 to in the only exhibition game that the Aggies will play this year. Um, Justin Bean was the leading scorer with 21 points. He also had 10 rebounds. Uh, Brandon Horvath added 14 points and 8 rebounds. His performance was somewhat quiet, I think. Um, the guards, particularly Ryland Jones, took uh, most of the spotlight. Um, and and both played really well. Uh, I, I really think that Ryan Odom coaches a style of basketball that will be really fun to watch. But I don't want to read really too much into it as it was just an exhibition game. Uh, the regular season for the Aggies starts on November 9th, so it really is coming up here, and that will be a home game against UC Davis. Another note just on Ryland Jones was, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, he is a transfer from Utah. He was at the University of Utah. He graduated from Olympus High down in the Salt Lake area, but he grew up here in Cache Valley. His dad was on the coaching staff at Utah State for a long, long time, and he grew up coming to games. He grew up coming to practices and all that. And he's, he really is a hometown kid, even though it, it says that he's a, he's a kid from Salt Lake city and from Olympus high school. And I got to say, watching him play in the spectrum, a place that he's watched a lot of games was really, really cool. Um, when they did the starting intro and they, they announced the starting lineup and Ryland Jones was a part of that. His face just lit up like I haven't seen before. Um, and he ran out onto the court and he looked up and saw his name and his picture on the on the big screen. And you could tell it just meant a lot to him. And I think Ryland Jones is going to be a huge part of this team. And I think he's going to find his way into the hearts of the Aggie fans very, very quickly. You can tell he just wants to be here. He likes being here. Like I said, like his face lit up when he heard his name and when he ran out and saw his picture on the screen. So he really likes being here. And and I think the all the transfers do. I think there's a high level of buy-in on this team. And we'll get into the numbers as the season goes on. Um, we'll we'll look at the the hard stuff and the and the statistics and things like that. But just from an emotional standpoint, you can tell these guys really want to be here. They like Coach Odom. I know that's always always a concern when you have new coaches. And we had a brand new coach in Blake Anderson in football, and that was a big talking point prior to the season. We talked about the level of buy-in that Blake had with his players and whether or not they were gonna go out there and give it their all and things like that. I think. Coach Odom on the basketball side has a high level of buy-in. Uh, no one seems too big for the program. The guys seem to be meshing really well from guys like Justin Bean and Brock Miller, who have been in the program for a long, long time, Utah State's program, that is, here in Logan, versus guys like Brandon Horvath and RJ Idlerock, who have been in Coach Odom's program for a long, long time, combining. And then you even have Ryland Jones, who doesn't fit into either one of those categories, who's kind of coming in fresh to Logan, somewhat i mean fresh to this utah state program you would say and then fresh to ryan odom and his program as well so you have all of that really mixing and 
that could be a disaster or it could not be. And I think the level of buy-in that Coach Odom has is really high. And I think you're already seeing that that's paying off. Um, anytime you bring in guys from different programs and bring in a guys you know with an incoming head coach and you're losing three starters and you have guys that have been on the team for a while, you just never know what you're going to get. But I think Ryan Odom has, has navigated that really, really smoothly. And I think we're going to see just a really, really good team. I really don't think we st- take a step back even after losing our head coach and three starters. I honestly think we could take a step forward. It's going to be hard to gauge that, however, because the rest of the conference is just so good. And I think everyone else in the conference took probably a bigger step forward than we maybe did. It's tough to tell. Um, But we're going to be up against better competition, in my opinion, than we have been in the past few years. And so it's going to be tough to gauge how much better or worse, for that matter, this team actually is. I think the team is going to be better, but they're also going to be competing in a higher level conference. I think at the end of the season, we're probably looking at a four-bid league for the Mountain West. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And we, we, we'll we talk a lot about that once the season gets in, and uh, particularly once we get into conference play and towards the end of conference play. But I really think there's a lot of good teams in the Mountain West. They're, they're going to earn some respect. So it might be tough to see just how good Utah State is, and it might be tough to to recognize that they're taking a step forward, but just understanding that everyone around them, all their peers are getting a lot better too, I think will help you understand how good Utah State is. You know, just having that context around Utah State will help you understand that they really are moving forward. And and like I said, I really do think that they are just as good, if not better than they were um, in previous years. And I don't think we, we're going to take a step back um, going into this new era of Utah State basketball. Another note about this Utah State basketball team before I move on into football and and obviously return to talking about basketball in the coming weeks. Um, But one note that I think is going to be really impressive as we start to talk is just the versatility of everybody on this roster. Brandon Horvath was the tallest guy on the court for most of the time. He was the tallest starter for Utah State um, in a starting lineup that consisted of Ryland Jones, RJ Idlerock, Brock Miller, Justin Bean, Brandon Horvath. Brandon Horvath, not necessarily a true center type, definitely not a Nemeus Keita type, um, but he was kind of the big man on on the court, took the jump, all that, all that stuff. He's definitely the big guy, um, ro- uh, you know, running the inside, running the interior of the offense and the defense. But even he could bring up the ball, and he did so multiple times. Um, the versatility of everybody on this team is going to be really astounding, and it's going to be something that I think is part of a new age of basketball, something that we're seeing already in the professional level, and something that I think Ryan Odom, the coach, is really high on. Um, but being able to have your quote-unquote center, um, that, that stretch four position who can move the ball and shoot, is going to be really, really fun to watch. It's something that we haven't seen a lot of lately just because we've had uh, Nemius Keita, who's a professional caliber center, um, but it's just a completely different style of play. So I think we are going to we, we are in for a completely different brand of basketball here in Utah State, um, and I think it's going to be fun. Um, so that's just kind of all my all, all my observations that I'll go over now, um, just because we we have a lot to talk about on on the football side of things. Uh, once again, we do pick, um, we do tip off our season on the ninth against UC Davis. the The time hasn't been determined yet, but it's going to be that day um, at home at the Spectrum. So make sure you're getting your tickets and uh, and getting ready for the season. Let's talk about some Utah State football. It was a great game against Hawaii. Probably Utah State's first real convincing win at the FBS level. 
Um, the only other game with with a real wide margin like the one we had against Hawaii was uh, against North Dakota at the, at the start of the season when we won 24-48. to The rest of our games have been decided either by a touchdown or less, or, or when we lost, we lost by... Uh, more than a touchdown a couple times in our only two losses. Two weeks ago against UNLV, winning by four last week against Colorado State, winning by two. And then this week to just be able to open up and run up the score a little bit on Hawaii. Hawaii is a fun team to play, like I said. I think we had the advantage no matter what. I think we were a better team. But it's a team that if we were in Hawaii and things were a little bit different, I think the score would have been completely different. I still think we win, but we might not. We might be sneaking away with another one-score game. But Utah State does take care of business. 51-31 to 31 is the final score. Utah State played great. Utah State got a lot of performance out of every position group. And, and really, within the position groups, they went really, really deep. And it was a great game for Utah State. We'll go over the numbers. Um, one of the big things that I noticed at the time, and just looking over the numbers, one thing that has been huge... We talked about it a little bit last week with Colorado State because it was improving, but it was really on display here at Hawaii or in the game against Hawaii in Logan was the first quarter performance. In this game, Utah State scored 14 in the first quarter and didn't give up a single point. This is huge. Nothing like that has happened all season long. So for Utah State to seemingly be patching the one or at least biggest gap in their game which was the first quarter of each game or, or you know the first half sometimes the first quarter though um, of the game to see them patch that was huge and that makes them a very complete football team on both sides of the ball for four quarters and when Utah State does that they can beat anybody they've already proven they can beat anybody um, because they've beaten Air Force who's a top team in the conference and so, if Utah State can play four full quarters of football like they did against Hawaii and play at the peak or close to the peak of their game on both offense and defense, they're a really good team. They're a team that doesn't lose a lot of games in a whole season, and they're probably a team that doesn't lose again the rest of the season. We have a tough one coming up here against San Jose State. It's in California. It could go either way. San Jose is a team that we don't know a lot about. They've just kind of done some weird things this year. But if Utah State plays at the peak of their performance on both sides of the ball and special teams and puts in four full quarters of football, these guys are going to win some games. They're probably going to win out if they can do that. So to see them do that was great. Logan Bonner notably did avoid his first quarter interception it was the first game all year that he has done that. There was one ball that should have been intercepted in the second quarter, so it would have been a first-half interception. Well, first off, credit where credit is due. Logan Bonner was really, really great. Avoided the first quarter interception, period. That was great. In the second quarter, there was one play. We were going on it on fourth down. Uh, the snap got away from, from Logan. Instead of jumping on it, which was... You know, it was fourth down already, so it was kind of a a risk assessment, I think, on Logan's part to pick up the ball and try to throw it. It wasn't necessarily on target. Ended up right at the hands of a of a Hawaii cornerback who 
seemed to intentionally drop it. I, I couldn't tell, to be honest with you. If he did intentionally drop it, it was just a very heads-up play to swat that ball down. Catching that ball would have been you know a loss of 20 yards for the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors who were turning the ball over on downs anyways. And I think on Logan's part, it was probably a, a risk assessment as well, doing the same thing, but obviously in reverse, thinking instead of jumping on this ball, I'm going to chuck it in the air and see if I can get somebody to catch it. If we catch it, it's a first down. If they catch it, we at least give them, we, we pin them back within the five. It was down in the red zone. So um, it was it was a heads-up play by Bonner if that's what was going through his head. If not, it was just um, it was just a, a, a bad pass that was swatted down by the opponent. Um, but that was really the one play where it should have been or could have been intercepted. The rest of the game by Bonner was lights out. Um, he got a little bit banged up. Logan Bonner has this weird tendency to just get hit really, really hard when he's in the backfield. Um, for some reason, when he does get hit, it doesn't happen, I don't think, more often than any other quarterback or anything like that. Um, but for some reason, when he does get hit, he seems to really take big hits. And, and this was the second game in a row where there was a play where they went back and reviewed a hit for targeting that happened on Logan Bonner in the backfield. Um it wasn't a targeting call, but that's the second game in a row where he's been hit so hard where the refs had to go back and look at it and then try to determine if it was targeting. Um, for some reason, the kid just gets beat up. He is a tough kid. Blake Anderson's talked about it. like this. He is just a tough kid, but he did get binged up, which gave Andrew Peasley some opportunities to come in, and it just wasn't Peasley's night. Peasley has been so talented and so reliable all season when he does get in. And he, he was this game, too. I've been saying all along that as soon as you put Peasley in, he's good for instant production, instant big plays, which is exactly what he did. He gets in the game and immediately throws a ball 50 yards in the air to Devin Tompkins, who comes down and grabs it. Andrew Peasley also, for some reason, has seems to have... Um, just this bad luck when Utah State gets into the end zone. He throws a ball 50 yards in the air, gets Utah State to the 10, and they're unable to find the end zone. It did lead to points, however, so Andrew Peasley scores immediately. It seems like every time he gets in the game. I think every game there should be one drive where Andrew Peasley just gets put in because it it leads to points every single time. Almost immediately he puts the ball downfield you remember in Washington his first drive he was Andrew Peasley was the first scoring quarterback of the season for Utah State he headed up a drive that marched down the field and led to what should have been a touchdown but penalties pushed him back and led to a field goal instead but Andrew Peasley should be given a drive every game he's so productive it's such a change of pace Hawaii just didn't know what to do with Andrew Peasley Andrew Peasley was moving with his legs so much because Hawaii just didn't know what to do I think Andrew Peasley should get a lot more usage out of this team um, just because every time he comes in, he does produce. That being said, as I mentioned, it, it wasn't necessarily Andrew Peasley's night. He did fumble the ball twice, um, one of which was returned for a touchdown at, at the end of the game. But that kind of thing isn't necessarily characteristic of Andrew Peasley. I just think it was maybe not his day because the kid's really talented, um, and I... I, I I'm, I was surprised when he fumbled the football two times in, in one game. And maybe that's why Logan Bonner has won the starting job, which is fine. I'm not saying Logan Bonner shouldn't be the starter. I honestly, 
all season long have been saying that I'm glad I'm not the one that has to make that decision because they're both so good. And maybe the maybe the fumbling the ball is part of that, but I do think Andrew Peasley should be put in the game more because every time he does, good things happen for Utah State. Every time he touches the ball, he seems to find a way to get points on the board. So Andrew Peasley did have a have a good night despite his two fumbles or or he had a good night outside of his two fumbles. Logan Bonner, though, just did Logan Bonner things. 21 of 30 for 361 yards and four touchdowns which is huge, and as I noted, zero interceptions, which is huge. Um, Logan Bonner looked really good. Quite frankly, everybody looked really good. Offense, defense, um, and everything in between. Utah State just looked really, really good against Hawaii. El Elyon Noah is continuing to really impress me, and he is going to make it very, very hard for Blake Anderson to decide who is going to get the most snaps and who's going to run the ball more once Calvin Tyler Jr. comes back. That's another decision that I am very glad I don't have to make because those two guys have both been really, really good all year. And in Calvin Tyler Jr.'s absence, Elion Noah has stepped it up and looked really, really good. He rushed for over 100 yards again this week. He ran the ball 23 times, 111 yards, and scored a touchdown. His longest run was 36 yards. El Elyon Noah just seems to find green and just moves forward. He doesn't waste a lot of movement moving laterally. He, Whether he's running up the middle, he finds a gap, or whether he's running out on the edge, he just catches that corner so well. He He's a really good running back and just always seems to be moving the ball forward. Um, Pilate Makakona had a lot of carries as well. 15 times he ran the ball for a total of 22 yards. So the junior running back, Makakona, looking great as well. He ran the ball for 10 yards on his longest, so he was he was looking good. John Gentry as well, 7 carries, 18 yards, and his longest was, was 10 yards as well. Receiving was absolutely amazing. Logan Bonner was able to find everybody in his in his receiving core and we talked about it last week with Colorado State or against Colorado State how deep we went into that receiving core and how we were so well balanced in our receiving core this week blows last week out of the water in terms of a balanced attack in the air this was quite possibly our best performance of sharing the ball in the air on offense we did a great job. I think Logan Bonner has has really started to settle into this offense. He goes through his progressions. He's finding the open guy. I think early on he just kind of relied on Devin Tompkins a little bit. That's because DT is an unbelievable athlete. He is so good. He's fast. He's got great hands. And I think Bonner kind of relied on him. But as he's settling more into this offense, he's able to find other guys while still utilizing the insane talent that is DT. Speaking of Tompkins, he had seven receptions for 176 yards. His longest was 45, which I think was from Andrew Peasley, actually. But seven receptions was a game high. 176 yards is a game high. So clearly he's still getting a lot of usage. He's still getting uh, kind of the lion's share of balls that are in the air because he just is that talented, but everybody else is starting to contribute a lot more as well. And, and the numbers speak for themselves. DT getting... Another 100-yard-plus night, um, 176. So he he is just 
so good, and, and he's going to continue to be targeted for a long time. He also passed the 1,000-yard mark on the season this year. He actually did it before halftime even, and there's a good chance that he breaks the record for a single season uh, receiving yards if he stays on uh, on pace like he is now. He has been really, really good this season. So congratulations to DT for surpassing 1,000 yards this season. He has also been receiving kickoffs back in back with Savon Scarver, and those two are making it very difficult for opposing special teams because who are you supposed to kick it to? Um, teams have been sending it over to Devin Tompkins because I think they – are more scared of and more aware of Savon Scarver, but not for long. Uh, Devin Tompkins has been putting up insane yards on kickoffs as well. And so this this past week he had 45 yards, and so he's just a threat and a playmaker no matter where he is on the field. Uh, Justin McGriff had five receptions for 90 yards. It seemed like they were using McGriff a lot more than they have in previous games. He got a lot of touches early on in the game as well. That first half was very McGriff heavy, and it was working really, really well. Uh, McGriff also caught a touchdown and came down with a 45-yard pass. That was his longest uh, Derek Wright had himself another great game. That's two games in a row where Derek Wright has just looked really, really good. Um, four four receptions, 83 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Derek Wright also had one of the coolest touchdown celebrations that I've seen all year coming towards the north end zone where the ROTC cannon is, catches a touchdown, and then goes over and like points at the ROTC, coordinating with them, and then like pumps his fist as the cannon goes off, and it was awesome. Um, Carson Terrell with two receptions, 34 yards, and a touchdown. They used Jordan Nathan this this week. He got two catches for 12 yards. And then Brandon Bowling, who we will talk about in a second as well, with two receptions, 11 yards, and a touchdown. Brandon Bowling also returned a kick uh, towards the end of the game. Hawaii, out of desperation, trying to trying to – start a rally and a comeback uh, kicks an onside kick and Brandon Bowling fields it and runs it right in for a touchdown. It was, it was great. And that was kind of one of the plays, uh, probably the play that really started to put the game on ice and and, into that game for Utah state. Uh, Utah state's defense was also really good. Two interceptions and a fumble recovery. There was also a fumble recovery right there at the end. The fourth quarter of this game was kind of chaotic. There was a fumble recovery, um, by Nick Henniger that he ran in for a touchdown, but it was called back because of a penalty. Um, but Utah State's defense was just really, really dominant. Um, Justin Rice leading the charge on defense with eight total tackles, four solo, half a sack, and two tackles for loss. And so Justin Rice kind of was, I think, battling through some injuries in the middle of the season, is returning to the top of the leaderboards on defense, and he will probably remain there for the rest of the season because he is just that good. So those are some of the team stats for Utah State. Overall, a great effort on all sides of the ball. Really great game by Utah State uh, with a big one coming up against San Jose State this weekend in San Jose. And then the scoring summary, I I mentioned the first quarter, and I think it's worth going through the full game. In the second quarter, Hawaii scored 10 in the second to Utah State's 6. Utah State in the third quarter, and then even in the fourth quarter, uh, where they have been really good characteristically all season long, Continued to do so, continued to to be really good. In the third quarter, Utah State scored 21. In the fourth quarter, they scored 10. 
to go along with Hawaii's 15 in the third and six in the fourth. Um, the fourth quarter, as I said, was kind of chaotic. Um, the touchdown, the six points um, from Hawaii came from the touchdown, um, and then a failed two-point conversion. The touchdown was Andrew Peasley's fumble that was returned, and then our touchdown was a Brandon Bowling 45-yard kickoff return. And so that was a scoring summary of that fourth quarter. Utah State commanded the game from start to finish. There was never really any doubt. And as Jacob predicted, it was really the first game where Utah State got out front early in the game and continued that throughout the full game and won handily. Um, that proved to be correct as Utah State did score first, they scored last, and a whole lot in between. Um, so the game was never really in question, but the third quarter is really where Logan Bonner and the Aggies just kind of put it away. Three touchdown passes from Logan Bonner right there in the third quarter is, is really when that game completely became Utah State's game to lose. Three touchdown passes for 21 points, not settling for field goals, nothing like that. 21 points in one quarter is tough to overcome for an opposing team, so that third quarter is where Utah State took it over. Um, overall, a great game by the Aggies on, on all fronts. Uh, it was probably the perfect game that I would have wanted going into a game against the defending champs in their home stadium, San Jose State, next week. It was one of those games where you had a lot of things go right, good confidence booster, but still plenty of things to go over in film, and I think a lot of things that Blake Anderson can go over with his team um, to iron out and really bring uh, bring a full, complete team and a full, complete game next week against San Jose State. Let's take a look at the rest of the conference. Speaking of San Jose State, let's take a look at what happened over the weekend in conference football and where Utah State stands and what they need to do to be in and maybe even host the Mountain West Championship game. Because as of right now, the Aggies are in the driver's seat. They control their own destiny, and they are leading the division and are on pace to be in that game. But what do they need to do to, to get there with still a third of the season left to play? So this week started off with Nevada at UNLV. As Jacob predicted, it was uh, not a close game. The Wolfpack bringing down the hammer on the Rebels, 51-20. to Moving into Saturday, we had Utah State beating Hawaii 50 to 20, 51 to 31. And then we move into San Jose State, who beat Wyoming by six. Wyoming still winless in the conference. The only team other than UNLV that has yet to pick up a win in the conference. Wyoming has really fallen apart once they started playing conference games and are not as good as people uh, thought they were early on. Um, Boise State and Colorado State played uh, Colorado State falling to the Broncos, which is a notable game for Utah State. Boise State winning 28-19. to And then Fresno State upsetting, if you want to call it an upset, the Aztecs 30-20. to Fresno State gets the win. Those are two of, if not the two best teams in the conference. Nevada is in that conversation as well as is Air Force, who did not play this week. They're on a bye. So two of the top teams right there taking on, uh, taking each other on. Fresno getting the upper hand, 30-20 to 20 San Diego State. Utah State remains at the top of the division. Um, the standings in the Mountain West, in the Mountain Division, are currently Utah State, 6-2 overall, 4-1 in the conference. Air Force, who we have the tiebreaker with, 3-2 in the conference. 
Boise State, 2-2 two and two in the conference. We do not have the tiebreaker against Boise. Colorado State, also 2-2 two and two in the conference. We do have the tiebreaker. Then New Mexico at 1-3 and three in the conference. Wyoming, 0-4 oh in the conference. On the other side, we have Fresno State, 4-1 and one in the conference. San Diego State, 3-1 and one in the conference. Nevada, also 3-1 and one in the conference. San Jose State, 3-2. and two. Hawaii, 1-3. and three. UNLV, the only other winless team. 0-4 in the conference. The only team in the conference that is winless on the full season. Let's look at that Mountain Division. Utah State, on top. 4-1 and one in the conference. Air Force, 3-2. and two. They are not the team we need to worry about because we have the tiebreaker. We can end with an identical record as the Falcons, and it's, and it's fine. Boise State is still the team we need to worry about. Boise State is, year in, year out, always the team we need to worry about. And when, when Boise picked up their second loss, they kind of faded, and we weren't really worried about the, the Broncos anymore. But now that everyone has two losses, everyone in the conference, or everyone in the division, rather, other than us, has two losses... That is now becoming the standard. So if Utah State wins out, it's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. Even if they don't win out, if they just win the the conference games. They only have three left. San Jose State on the road should be a tough one. And then New Mexico and Wyoming, who are at the bottom of the division. Between the two of those teams, there's only one win in the conference so far. So winning out in the conference is not unreasonable anymore. And And if they do that, it doesn't matter. Utah State, there's a chance they win out. Looking at their schedule, just according to what ESPN has, Utah State's scheduled. Utah State is projected to win the remainder of their games for the first time all season. It only took us going six and two for people to start realizing that Utah State's a good football team and that we might be able to win some games. It only took six wins. It only took us being bowl eligible when we were supposed to win three games for people to start respecting us. But now we're finally here, and Utah State is probably projected to win out and if they do it's over we are in the championship game maybe hosting because on the other side everyone has a loss now with fresno beating the aztecs and a lot of those teams still have to play each other in this final third of the season i think it's more likely that we play in california either in fresno or san diego but there's a chance the game is in in utah So what needs to happen for Utah State to play in the conference championship to win the division? Well, the easy one is to win out. That if if they do that, there's there's nothing else that can happen. There are no circumstances that could happen where Utah State is not in the championship game. If Utah State does lose a game and it's not to New Mexico State, which is not a conference game, if Utah State does lose another game, Boise State needs to lose one more. So if Utah State loses one, and it doesn't matter to who, it can be to San Jose, it can be to Wyoming, it can be to New Mexico. If Utah State loses one more, we would then need Boise State. The remainder of Boise State's schedule is tough, and them losing another game is likely. They play Fresno, then they play Wyoming, and then they play New Mexico, and then they play San Diego State. So Boise could still pick up two more losses and be out of the question and no longer causing problems for Utah State. That could happen. So Utah State has a couple tiebreakers that are really going to help them out later on in the season, and as we try to get into that championship game. The obvious one is Air Force. We've talked about that a lot. Colorado State with two losses, if they don't lose again, that tiebreaker will be helpful as well. 
the only team in the conference that has the tiebreaker against us is Boise. So those are that the Broncos are the only team that we need to lose one more. And they might. They probably will. They might do it this week against Fresno, who's now ranked again. So if Boise State loses to Fresno and or San Diego State and Utah State wins out or loses one, Utah State is your division champion. If Utah State loses two, it's just not good enough. You can't lose three games and play in the championship. That's just, that's just not going to happen. On the other side, in the West, things get a little bit more complicated and also matter a lot less because hosting the Mountain West Championship game is a whole lot less important than playing in it. I, I'd, I'd rather play in it in California than not playing it at all. So what, what, what's, what we have there are still three teams, Fresno State, San Diego State, and Nevada, all still battling for that spot. Each has one loss. Fresno currently at the top plays Boise State, New Mexico, and San Jose State to, to finish out the season. They only have three games left. None of them are particularly threatening for the Bulldogs. They might not lose again. San Diego State, who was undefeated until this past week when they lost to Fresno, has Hawaii, then they have Nevada, then UNLV Boise. That Nevada game is going to be really important, I think, when that when that happens. And just as a side note, the Aztecs are playing in Honolulu. So we'll see if that makes a difference. Hawaii already beat Fresno on the island. We'll see if they can beat San Diego State at home as well. Nevada currently sitting at the third place spot over in the Western Division. They play San Jose State. They play San Diego State. They play Air Force. They play Colorado State. Nevada, of the teams still competing to play in the championship game, might have the toughest schedule moving forward. With San Jose, the defending champs, San Diego State, Air Force, two of the top teams in the conference, and then Colorado State, another team in the conference that is top of the middle tier. Nevada's going to have a tough, tough road to win out and play in the conference championship game. So at this point, in all likelihood, Utah State is playing in the championship game in California, either in San Diego or Fresno, depending on how the final three games for Fresno and the final four games for San Diego go. And, of course, how the final four or three of the final four games for Utah State, mainly the three conference games in San Jose State, Wyoming, and New Mexico. Also, San Jose State, I'm now looking, is not this next week. Next week is... Utah State playing in Las Cruces against the New Mexico State Aggies. I was a week ahead of myself looking forward for this Mountain West matchup. So the game against San Jose State for Utah State, the, the game looming large, is not for two more weeks. That's that's my bet. I, I had that mixed up. So Utah State in New Mexico State this week. If we're going to lose a game, this is the one I've said we have to lose. If we have to. I'd like to just win out. and then we And then we go to California and play San Jose State. So that's where the conference is. That's where Utah State is. It's getting more and more likely each and every game that Utah State wins out. That Utah State plays in the Mountain West Championship game. We are getting into territory where we are becoming more and more likely to be the division champs. And that is crazy. We were not supposed to be here. We were supposed to win three games. And here we are, bull eligible after eight games and seriously talking about being division champs playing in a Mountain West championship game. 
It's been a great season. It's been a historic season. I hope everyone's been enjoying it and and having a good time because it's been a great season. It's not over yet. Three more games. Four more games for the Aggies. Just one more home game. Wyoming, it's senior night. If you haven't gotten your tickets, make sure you get your tickets to that game. There's a lot of seniors on this team that have been through a lot. There are seniors on this team. This will blow your mind, but there are seniors on this team that played with Jordan Love, played on a one-win team last year, and now are playing for Blake Anderson, hunting for a conference championship. The seniors on this team have been through a lot. Make sure you get your tickets to show them the support they deserve against Wyoming in our battle for the Bridgers rifle. Make sure you get out to that game on the 20th. That's all we have today. Make sure you tune in on Thursday um, as we get ready for a game against New Mexico State and probably get ready for some basketball as well. Thanks for tuning in, and go Aggies!